Hi, I'm Linda. I'm from the Lower East Side. Hi, my name is Armando. I come from the Lower East Side and go to 188. I'm Dr. Lou Lahana, but you two are not going to call me Lou, just FYI. And <laughs> I know it's disappointing. Um, I am the technology coordinator at PSMS 188, the Island School. I'm also known as the Techbrarian. Hi, I'm Steve Heath. I'm the executive director of Fab Newport in Newport, Rhode Island, where our mission is to liberate the maker intrinsic in all of us. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. You may have already gathered that my guests this week are a pretty special bunch. Armando and Linda are young activist maker learners from the Island School on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Steve Heath is with us from Fab Newport, an amazing organization that is bringing the uh, school and broader community together in Rhode Island around um, making and fabrication and education. And of course, Dr. Lulahana is uh, somebody who I consider a friend. He's someone who I've worked with for a long time um, and is, of course, a teacher to Armando and Linda. He promised that he would be back and bring along some of his students. And so this is that episode. We dig in today to some of the reality of what maker education has in store, and that has highs and lows. And um, I encourage you to stick around because I think there is a lot in this episode, um, if you listen closely, that has bears a lot of fruit for uh, those who are thinking, I'm into the idea of maker education, but uh, what's next? Where do I start? And what's most important? What are the values that we're after? One note before we get started is I learned a lot from this episode about uh, my audio practice. And you'll notice that uh, I have Armando and Lindo's mic is pointed at some construction happening at street level. So don't be alarmed when you hear some rumbling in the background. You may hear uh, some debris falling. Um, No one is in danger. These are the kinds of noises uh, that you pick up with a fairly powerful microphone. Um, In any case, my apologies for anything distracting about the episode, but I did my best to clean it up. I think you're really going to get a lot out of this. Uh, Enjoy the episode. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I love, as soon as we sat down, uh, I got to geek out with Linda and Armando a little bit, and uh, almost instantly, uh, Lou and Steve are meeting each other for the first time, and you guys are talking about people like John Seeley Brown and... um, Seymour. Seymour Papert. And talking about some of the ideas that, in reality, I put this show together to have these conversations. And and so I feel so comfortable and at home with such like-minded folks, but uh, intentionally also folks who are kind of exploring and making their way through maker education on their uh, in their own context and have their own ideas about how we do this. So intentionally, I'm hoping uh, we all have something, uh, you know, we might share ideals 
uh, but I think we all probably see things slightly differently. And, and so I'm excited to have that conversation. Uh, this show, above everything, is really about um, spotlighting two young makers, Linda and Armando, who I've heard a ton about, and I'm kind of like a fanboy uh, from some of the stuff that Dr. Lahana has told me. I'm interested to hear what, uh, how long you've been working with Dr. Lahana in the makerspace, and tell me about the most recent thing you've been working on and, and a little bit of what that involves. Um, I've been with Dr. Lahana, working with him for like three years. And what was the other question? The other question is, uh, tell me about the project that you're working on most recently. Oh, right now I'm working on a commercial for stereotypes on um, men and women, on how men have to be tough and um, they have to not cry and stuff. And girls, they have to be nice and pretty and wear makeup. So this is a video project? Yeah. What, what, have you done video projects before? Uh, not really. So this is a new experience? Yeah. Tell me about some of the tools that you're using. By tools, I mean technology. Um, a camera, microphones probably, um, props, yeah. Cool. Just to interrupt for a second. Yeah. So this is a brand new project. Linda's been working on some amazing projects over the past three years. This one was inspired because we did a long, long talk about exactly what Linda said, the idea that men and boys have to wear this mask uh, where they're tough and where they have certain priorities, which are like shoes and uh, the right car and listening to a certain kind of music. And any deviation from that, you suddenly um, are ostracized by all the other boys and you're looked at as soft. And there's so much room for different kinds of boys and men and they don't have to feel so uh, you know, alienated and they can be comfortable in their own skin. And the same with women and girls that they don't have to perform this set of acts where they put on makeup and they flirt with boys and they might want to be completely different from that. And so Linda really took to this idea and she said, well, I'm going to make a commercial where it's happening and it's running and then I'm going to interrupt it and I'm going to point out all the stereotypes. Is that right? And so she hasn't begun that process yet. We're about to start that process, um, but she wrote the script for it. Sorry, I didn't mean to take a, all away. I just wanted you to to give a little background on how you're beginning this project, and it might be a little more interesting, in my opinion, to talk about what you've done already um, in the class. Do you want? Um, I've done um, a poster, like a wooden poster with 3D print on about gun violence. It was every time a gun fought fires a flower dies and it was referring to the flower as people so every time someone shoots someone a flower dies like an important person and what inspired that um my cousin he passed away last year because he got um shot and he passed away because of that so all of these projects started with um your own ideas and how does um how does Dr. Lahana get you started on a project like that? Like, do we just, is it just like, what are your ideas? Well, 
Sometimes, well, most of the time, every time you go there, he has a class in the beginning about one specific project. Or you could go on techbrand.com and then look on all the projects, like all, all the issues that there are and like how to solve them and stuff. Yeah. So he's kind of putting together this um, uh, library of um, community issues you might be interested in or just topics that you, you might have some interest in or some be able to relate to, right? Yeah. And every class starts with a brief discussion of a social issue? Yeah, there's a mini lesson, and it, it's most often a social issue. And then I'll try to connect it with a set of tools and brainstorm with them, tools and materials to help address it. Do you guys know when you're coming into Dr. Lahana's class that, all right, here we go, we're going to have a little discussion about a social issue? Do you know that when you're coming through the door? Yeah. How does that make you feel when you walk through that door? good because you don't know what is going to happen like what different lessons you're going to have so you're excited to think what's he thought about this time yeah and linda often talks about bringing these issues home and talking about it with her mother and her her sister right yeah because my older sister used to be used to work with him because she was a student at the same school and i i like talking to my mom about the issues by him you mean dr lahana yeah armando I have so many questions for you, Linda, but but I need to uh, share the mic because I know Armando's got some things to say. I can see it on your face. Uh, tell me, is <laughs> is covering his face in uh, in embarrassment now? But um, tell me what you're working on most recently, and also how did you? How long have you been working with Dr. Lahana, and and how did you uh, start in that space? Um, I've been working with Dr. Lahana for f- four years, and uh, most of the projects I worked on were connected with w- one topic, uh-huh. which was the homeless. Um, but I first started off with the a mealworm project uh, because it's funny that we don't eat bugs, but they're healthy. Yeah. And we don't have to do anything with them. We don't have to put them in the fridge or unpack them. We could raise them. It saves more space and it's, it does less damage to the environment. Yeah. Um, so for one year, I cut a mealworm for, in different types of forms. And they all tasted nice. It's funny that people think bugs are gross. Yeah. But not cow muscles. But not cow muscles. <laughs> what was, tell me, tell me the first time you went home and you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm cooking mealworms at school. What, what were the, uh, uh, like, what did everybody say? Were they just, Armada, what are you talking about? You're eating bugs in school. Um, well, my family was first surprised. But then I told them um, that I was eating them in class to see if they were good or not. Uh-huh. It didn't calm them down that much, but they like they were less in shock after I told them. And I continued doing it, and I found out that real ones are almost just as good as food. As long as they have seasoning or something. Yeah. What's your favorite mealworm seasoning? Uh... Cheddar cheese with um, paprika. 
cheddar cheese and paprika. You heard it here first. How'd you get into the issue of homelessness? Um, well, I've been in the issue since I walked around the streets. Because every time I walked, even just for one block, I could see one homeless sitting there. I always thought that it was sad. Um, I kept on for years walking, seeing more homeless. And then when, and then one year, Dr. Hana, um, I started talking about the homeless um, problem. And then I told him that they decide, um, that they um, slept on the concrete floor and that it was hurtful and sometimes it could damage them and they would have to get medicine and that and cream mm-hmm. and they couldn't just afford that since they couldn't even afford food yet mm-hmm. so and what are what are some of the things that you've you've done what are some of the projects that you put out into the world to try and do something about this um my first project for it was making pillows mm-hmm. um Brilliant. all by hand and machine and so sewing machine and needle and thread needle and thread how how uh innovative these materials and and um where did you get things like the fabric for the pillow and what did you stuff them with uh, where I got the fa- fabric from was a teacher called Mr. Pizarro. Uh-huh. Um, he was a sewing teacher. Um, when I first came to him, um, he taught me how to sew. He said that um, um, that I was a quick learner. And soon after that, I decided to use that that skill for one of the projects. And I, be, I made a total of 10 pillows. Mm. I made a big sale to raise money to give for them. And then we went to, me and Dr. Lahana went to Union Square and started looking for homeless. We found a few homeless, but we still had some leftover pillows. Mm. That's you, surprising considering how many homeless yeah. you encounter on your just your day-to-day. Yes. A few days ago, I mean, a few days later, we went out again, but we didn't find one homeless. It's mm. funny that when we try looking for a homeless, there are none around, but when we're not looking for them, there's more than enough. Mm. So what was your next step? You had these extra pillows. What would you do? Um, they were left behind. So you had made this great resource. And so, in a way, you uncovered an, another part of the project that I don't know if you expected, but um, that you didn't know necessarily how to access the people you were trying to help when you had what they needed or, or what you perceived they needed. Um, when this happened, I asked Dr. Han, they should have a, um, a, a app where homeless spottings are. That's so interesting. Do you want to talk about the next phase of your work? Um... So my next part was to make them a on-the-go shelter. It was not made out of wood to save the environment, of course. It was made out of PVC pipes. 
and so we collected them and we made it enough for the man to take shelter. Mm-hmm. He could sleep there at night. But in the pipes, we were gonna put LED lights, mm-hmm. and we, we drilled holes. We're starting to put LED lights in. We're gonna seal the um, hole, and then when it's night, he won't live in darkness. He'll have at least some light. Mm. That's beautiful. Colorful. So how how do they get? How do they? You I think said the word portable. Um, how is it portable? Like how how do how do you take it to somebody who needs it and then they put it up? So I was um, thinking of making a carrying bag, almost like a golf bag where you put your clothes, mm. instead for um, PVC pipes and much bigger. They put the pipes in when they're awake. They could put the connectors to get um, inside and they move another spot if they want Mm. but when they put it together there's also going to be a manual how to put it nice so when they put it it's there I'm also hoping to put a light switch so the light isn't always on and runs out that fast Mm. and on top of the PVC pipes there's going to be a tarp Mm-hmm. That will um, that will withstand sun and rain, and I and I want to try and make a um I say mattress, mm-hmm. so they have something comfortable, but to make it portable as well. Yeah, that's a tough one. So maybe a air mattress would work. Oh, that's interesting. But it will need like a hard um bottom so it does not pop. I love it. The the uh, maker in me wants to come and hang out and work on your project because it sounds so cool. Um, Lou, you mentioned in uh, our last episode that it takes a unique space to be able to do a project like this. Yeah. Uh, for something like the PVC project, for those who haven't yet gone back to listen to that episode, can you just quickly describe how this gets done in a school environment where materials are obviously limited and space as a resource is always a premium well my class is a social action class so it starts with that theme and students research a social issue and then once they've researched it so uh, Armando researched homelessness and Linda gender stereotypes once they've researched it we sort of collaborate together teacher and student or student with student and they come up with uh, an idea of what they want to make to raise awareness or help solve the issue then the space is filled with all kinds of low and high-tech tools and materials and I continually accumulate them and try to keep them relatively well organized. We have metalwork materials, uh, including uh, letter stamps and large pieces of raw metal and brass and nickel. We have sewing materials, a sewing machine, fabric. We have woodworking tools. We have uh, Arduinos and LED lights and all kinds of electronics. And then the other element I think that's interesting is what Armando was saying about having the sewing teacher there. Uh, Being able to recruit 
members of the learning community, so he was a member of the after-school program, getting him to come in a couple times a week, getting your friends. I have uh, a friend from outside of school who was really into uh, making the pink pussy hats. Mm-hmm. And so she came in and showed a group of students how to knit. And Can you just describe the, the hats? Because that was a phenomenon that... You know, many people are like, oh, yeah, the pink pussy hats. But if you hear it and you don't know what it is, it's like, what? Well, our president decided that being a rich and famous person, it was okay to assault women by grabbing them by the pussy. And so in response to that, a whole movement began where they were exposing this uh, issue of of assaults on women, and in order to show that and to promote uh, awareness of this issue, they began knitting these pink pussy hats uh, and wearing them during protests and doing a lot of social media work around it to raise awareness uh, around sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And so, getting students to be a part of that is a wonderful thing. Yeah. These are some some pretty serious issues that you guys are digging into, and I don't think we did at the top of the show, but um, can you guys say your grades real quick? I'm in the sixth grade. Sixth, and Armando is? I'm in the eighth grade. Nice. Thank you. Um, So eighth and sixth grade, some pretty big topics. Absolutely, and I think that that's important to be brave as a teacher to bring up these issues because the truth is, the truth of the truth is that they're already exposed to this. But how are they going to be guided and how is it going to be framed in a way that they are empowered and they have something to say about it based on a deeper understanding of the issue? Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel the role of the Tech Cafe is, is grounding it in a content area. And in this case, it's social issues. Yeah, and the Tech Cafe is your yes. your space yes. at the Island School. Yes. Um, and is that is the Tech Cafe within another? Is it is it have you like appropriated a part of another space in the school, or is it its own? It's its own separate space. It's basically I'm a technology teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm a cluster teacher. Yeah, and I've chosen to create this approach, this space. Um, from from this assignment. Can you just quickly, for those who aren't school folk, uh, cluster teacher is? So administrators need to have a certain amount of preparatory periods uh, that each core specialist teacher, science, math, English, they need time off uh, through through the contract and through smart planning that, that they'll be able to have that kind of relief and the ability to plan their future lessons and organize their classrooms. So as a result, a number of other teachers, like a music teacher and an art teacher, uh, a technology teacher, take up that time and use it for non-core uh, disciplines. Yeah. Quote, quote, unquote, non-core. Exactly. Um, so I want to shift a little bit. So, Steve, uh, you guys are doing some pretty amazing things up in Newport. And um, I saw 
some screen printing happening. I, I uh, uh, through your website, clicked into some of the like weekly makes, and and I saw hammocks being made and um, some screen printing being done. Uh, certainly, lots of of light up creatures and things. Uh, tell us about what's happening in Newport. And I think one of the things that people don't necessarily um, get when they hear about an organization like yours and the cause that you're working uh, for is they think of Newport and they think of mansions. Um, who are the students that you serve in Newport and what do they come to your place to do? Uh, Newport is one of the poorest cities in Rhode Island and we're in the north end of town which is uh, a lot of public housing and we're literally on the street we're a community organization so when we opened our doors the neighborhood uh, students mostly middle schoolers um, just started coming in and then there were schools interested in our work a neighboring CTE school we were able to provide them with um, some 3D modeling programming and now we have a pretty vigorous after school programming with the local middle school and we're still continuing some high school programming and we have some family programs so Friday night is my favorite night in the lab when we'll have um, we'll have 12 year olds teaching engineers how to run um, a laser cutter or a vinyl cutter and mothers and sons working on projects together all this kinds is, of people this sewing. is called fab fab friendly fridays fab friendly fridays but, i love that um but i'm really interested in this conversation about the student work actually and linda mentioned like the stereotypes um and your project i was uh have an intern who's a high school senior and his senior project is developing a clothing line that he just named misunderstood and so his developing his clothing line, and what he does is he takes apart clothes and reconstructs them. Mm. And, and he, if you look at him, you can see like he just dresses a little bit differently. And it's, it's his way of making a statement that, yeah, I'm a guy, and I'm a designer, and I'm straight, but I'm still who I am, and I want to be a little bit different. And I think that speaks to a lot of people who maybe don't, like wear the feather in their hat or yeah. do whatever it is that they want to say something. And, you know, I, I really, I really have a lot of interest in, you know, Lou's talking about content area. I have another student who through our space has become extremely passionate about 3d printing and taking them apart and fixing them and putting them back together. And he's using Arduinos and he's building his own robot and his content has emanated from like looking at a machine and becoming interested in that. And he took our computer science class. So here's a guy who needs kind of no motivation. And he's, he comes in there and he'll work for hours on his own. And that's not a social issue, but it's his thing, you know? Well, I think, I think there's a, definitely a place for that. And my only place of advocacy is that within a school, during school time, it should begin with a, with content, that it should be content-oriented first and foremost, and that all making should be a result of becoming passionate about a theme within a content area. And so I think that everything you're talking about, with from hammocks to robotics to 3D printing, 
completely makes sense, and I think it's wonderful what you're doing, period. I just think it belongs after school, not during school. I think all those things can be done during school, but should start with collaborating with a teacher in a classroom and figuring out together how you can address their content, their curriculum through making. Can, can, I, can I pause for one second? Yeah. And just say that Armando, you were just talking about the mattress issue, and I had an idea for our project. As you hear, I just said our project. Oops. For the, for the tent, you, you need to take this hammock blueprint that they have up at in Newport and think about a structure within the tent because hammocks are a super comfortable way to sleep. Then you don't have to worry about, oh, I see the light, but you're like, I see it. The eyes are, are going up. Anyway, I... It felt worth interrupting for for that. Let me ask you. This is this is really interesting. One of the things that I wonder all the time, and and it's going somewhere. I think is, um, do you guys consider yourself makers, Linda and Armando? Um. Yeah. Like, as in make like make the world like a better place than it is now. Yeah, Armando. Do you? How do you feel? What is what is being a maker? Um, being a maker to me means making something, of course. Mm-hmm. But it it doesn't have to be something great. It could be something simple, something that you like and like you care about. Simple can be pretty great, I think. Like a PVC tent, some might think is pretty simple, but. I think it's really, a pretty outstanding yeah. innovation. Yeah, and what I thought was so cool about that was without any prompting, he created a small model of it before he even began working with the PVC pipe. He just mm-hmm. grabbed some coffee stirs and napkins and a glue gun, and he created it. Good for you. So you've had iterations now already. That's excellent. So so I guess the reason that I ask, and that feels like a, a sort of valid uh, interjection, is that we're talking about the extent to which making should be content-driven. And I think, I think that we both want, we all want, um, for young people to come out of a maker education experience with the idea that these skills have purpose and we want them to apply them to the world, uh, whether it's they're a very lo- in a local way or a very global way. And it, it just dawned on me as you guys were talking that something about the context that you've set up, Lou, it, it made me realize that if these guys think that they're makers, uh, Linda and Armando, then they probably are already connecting the identity of the maker and the social issues and and the content in in a big way. And so, it, it it's not siding with either side of this, but but more uh, just trying to surface the idea of identity in this. And I don't care if we call it maker or anything else, um, but there is an identity, and it is connecting content and purpose to. Uh, very tangible skills, and and in a neat way, we've talked about in the past, high tech and low tech skills. So, well, I was just going to say what the way I see it, 
as it's an identity, but it's also a, a habit of mind where the first thing I'm hoping that Linda and Armando do when they are in class and they are assigned to do a project is they begin thinking like a maker because they're so used to it. They're so used to looking at a variety of tools and materials and coming up with a great solution and coming up with a great way to represent a problem and help solve it. So uh, I just think that that's a, that's a habit that needs to form over time through practice. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. Armando, before we got came online, was talking about just browsing through the high school choice book, and he chose culinary. And he sounded very purposeful about that. So to me, that sounds like he's made a choice in a way he wants to make his life. And that's, you know, that's what I like to say is that by empowering kids to learn a variety of different skills and come up with a variety of different ways to solve problems, they then can look at the world through a different lens and go out and make, create opportunities for themselves. And he sounded like very patient about the way he went about it. Like, not like your typical 13 year, are you 13 going to? I'm turning 13. You're turning 13 soon. So that was like, wow, that's, that's awesome to hear him. Well, Linda, wanted for one of her assignments in another class to do a report on breast cancer. And rather than do a written report or a PowerPoint, she said, can you, Dr. Lana, can you connect me with a survivor? And can I interview her and create a video about it? And so she wrote interview questions and I found a survivor And I asked the, we were going to do a Skype session, but it didn't happen. So I ended up just uh, asking Linda's questions and she answered it. And then I uh, recorded it and gave it back to Linda and she edited it it, um, on iMovie and then presented it to her class. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, In fifth grade, we had to do um, a senior project and everybody wanted to do it on like lava and all like how to solve things like math and all that and i thought it would be cool if we if i did a project on like a social issue so i thought that breast cancer would be good because um like a lot of people have breast cancer and a lot of people do survive it so i i went to dr nahana and i asked him to help me with the project and i did like a two-page report on it and then I asked Dr. Nahana if I could do a video, like a Skype session, but we had to do a video. And um, instead of just writing like facts down about it and everything, do a video with someone that actually went through breast cancer. And I asked her like, I asked a couple questions and gave them to Dr. Nahana. Like, like um, she, there's different things that you have to, like it depends on what stage you are at from zero to four. And, um, like, did she get a mastectomy or a double mastectomy or anything? Like, a lot of people, people think breast cancer is just, oh, you get breast cancer and you go through it and then you're done. It's different because some women have to chop their breast off and they have to go through a bunch of stuff, go to the hospital all the time and do a bunch of stuff just because they have breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be cool. And so you see it's a habit of mind where rather than going through a traditional way of reporting out, 
she decided that she was going to make something and it was impactful and we were able to publish the video so that it went out to others and informed others it's real world but it sounds like coming back to one of the things i really wanted to talk to this group about is um it sounds like these guys aren't aren't particularly um i get i get to have conversations about maker education in lots of different places around the country that that we get uh have the good fortune of working in and it seems that in lots of regions people young people are only making after school and then in a lot of regions they're only making in school and um it is uh frequent if not constant that i'm thinking about why we're not having more conversation about uh, ecosystems that can support the the maker activist identity, um, so that you're uh, you know we're we're not limited to any any constraints within the um, context of the school system, and likewise that. We're not only making for making sake uh, in the out of school space. How do you guys feel about that? Are there things happening uh, that you're excited about in the context of ecosystems in Newport or uh, or in New York, Lou? Well, I, wa- I wanted to note something Where before we, we even get into that. Armando and Linda, neither of them really knew what you were talking about when you mentioned making. You. Uh, you assume that they did, and they struggled to answer that question. And I think the reason why is because making isn't what we really do. We're solving social issues. We're addressing social issues. And we're doing that through creating a bunch of stuff. And But the making, that whole um, ideology, some of it, I think, inherent in that is just making for making sake to make cool novel things Mm -hmm. and i think when you remove that then you almost don't even have to use that word because i don't really use that word in terms of identity and i i don't use the capital m maker in my my maker space really can can we pause though um when i asked uh do you guys see yourselves as makers was the question um you said yes but is is Dr. Lahana right that like you don't really even think about that? Oh. You don't just have to say I'm right. I mean, yeah, yeah. he doesn't yeah, care. He wants to hear the truth. Right. Sometimes we like certain kids make like Legos and stuff, but they use it for a social issue. Like um, my friend, she um, did this project where she was gonna make like a dog or some like a dog with Legos and then put fur on it for like people that are like allergic or whatever to mm-hmm. dogs and stuff like that instead of like hypoallergenic dogs because like I'm allergic to a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. that brought her to the idea of doing that Yeah. and um, like there's certain dogs that are hypoallergenic but they're really like a lot of money like the dog yeah. I have it's like a lot of money to have those dogs Yeah. so she decided to make that dog okay so here's the question Mark says do you think of yourself as a maker right? yeah so my question is, what does that word mean, maker? What do you think he meant when he said that? And it's okay not like, to know. Just go ahead and do making, your best. Like, making like um, stuff like technology and stuff like that. Making like programs and apps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Armando, when Mark asked you, do you consider yourself a maker? What do you think he meant when he asked that? 
Um, I say yes and no. Um, I say yes because we do make stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we don't because we're mainly focusing on social action, not making. Mm-hmm. We only do the making to aware people in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm so glad we're talking about it because I think we, we now, and it'll be interesting to listen back because we, we have two answers to the question. There's definitely, I think what's important about it is that uh, the question is extremely relevant. To what extent is the maker identity of value? And I've heard it both ways. I've heard young people say, uh, you know, I really don't think about it that way. And then I've heard other pe- young people say, um, I wouldn't be into any of this stuff. I wouldn't be programming an Arduino right now if I didn't uh, go to my first, you know, quote unquote, maker event and um, and be thinking about it that way. Well, so so Steve- I'm, I'm interested in what the value of the frame is. And then on, on the other hand, I'm also interested. I'm also um, cautious of paralysis by analysis it's like i don't if it's if it's useful great if it's not then right we'll move on i think steve brought up something before we we started you want to talk a little bit about the idea that maybe making or as an identity or as a proper word within education is irrelevant yeah well just maker ed maybe it's just about learning and so when i listened to armando and lean to talk you guys are psyched about that. And so I see that as part of their identity. Mm-hmm. And so they've developed all, you know, Dr. Lahana here has given them really powerful ways to see themselves and to see the world. And then now they're seeing Rosie's kids as another opportunity to like create their lives mm-hmm. in, in an interesting way. And to hear Armando talk about passion and the difference between like, skill and passion and that passion in fact might carry the day which you know if you're talking to an entrepreneur and the the importance of persistence that's probably going to be connected to passion so to jump into the ecosystem Mm. piece it's like how so they found a way i don't know who connected them to rosie's kids but it's like how do we connect all these opportunities that are out there for kids in a way that they make sense in school and out of school and it's not just like a champion like Lou who obviously has an exceptional relationship with a number of kids and whether the parents are involved or not it's like but these guys are seizing those opportunities so when I think of an ecosystem it's like finding another way for the adults in the community to both advertise their opportunities as organizations as human beings and you know whether it's social capital or opportunities to make stuff or learn stuff or do stuff or go places um it's well the island school is uh operates under the community school model and when you mentioned how did they even know about rosie's kids i think one of the wonderful things about our school, and we have a fantastic principal, assistant principal is also fantastic. And what they do is they are constantly looking for ways to get the kids engaged after school, get them help and their families help during school so that they can 
fully actualize and be get their basic needs met so that they can reach even higher. And, and we have vision services and mental health services and offer GED and they're open six days a week. Uh, we have a pretty fantastic after school program and we get the kids into the Lower East Side Girls Club and Rosie's Kids in addition. So um, as part of that ecosystem, you have to have, I believe, a school that acts as a community school, whether in name or not, um, that that really folds these kids uh, into uh, into a program um, and into a community that reaches beyond just the regular school day and regular services provided by a, a typical school. Mm-hmm. I I, uh, I think that that's. Um I'm going to link to some more info on the community schools model because I think that's an important place people might want to dig a little bit further. One of the things that I say all the time that you guys are such a great characterization of is that um, we underestimate how ready for activism young people are. I think I think personally that we are natural activists. Uh, whatever label you put on it, it's about making your living context a better place and we are all naturally inclined to do that and somehow we we sort of pull it out but what you're doing lou and what you guys are doing Stephen newport i think um is a place that uh not only exposes young people and and helps them put that identity into the world but also the brokers these opportunities uh you know from school to after school and these different spaces and and that's why i'm so interested in uh how we do this ecosystem piece right um steve i have a question for you which is that and it kind of ties these two things together um it's about the value of maker as an identity or a or a movement in education in part um and then it's also about this ecosystem piece you're somebody who has serious um uh school cred right you've spent years in the public school systems you've worked in montessori you've worked in career and technical education um and i know Hearing you describe the um, Fab Lab movement and maker education, uh, you sort of described this excitement of, yes, let's get back to making things and and sort of making making learning tangible. I wonder from you, as somebody who's seen this from a lot of different angles, including you've been a classroom teacher, you've, you've done this work in so many different ways, what's the most important part of... Uh, if we call it maker education, great. But what's what's the most important part of the momentum we're seeing right now? Well, I think it's like listening to the students, um, and it's it's you know find, it's asking them questions and giving them tools, materials, space, and time to solve problems that have value to them, and and then making them feel like they're part of a community i know like in my work in schools it feels like you know it's often sectioned off and and people are always kind of like moving on to something else but you know working in the lab and now we have kids who've been with us for three years and i feel like there's like something that's coming to life and we're growing a community in which other things can begin to launch off and now i've got to work on developing stronger relationships with other organizations so 
someone might need to move out of the fab lab and go do something else but can I work with other organizations to build that kind of so some kids not just coming there for 50 minutes and then they're gone you know because yeah. there's a lot of people out there trying, trying to fill seats you know write grants and and prescribe things and not listening to the kids and and like they, yeah we're all born activists right we want to shape our lives in ways but it often we get slowed down, we get tired, you know, and people start telling us what to do after 13 years in school. So we've got to keep listening and keep empowering. And, um, and I, you know, again, I love the way Lou's introducing these social issues and to hear these guys talk about it. I'm going to bring that back to Newport. And I think I'm going to send uh, Josie, who's our star educator, and maybe she can spend a day with you and just and address some of those things, you know, because I'm really more of a catalyst than... Um, like a classroom teacher in your current role, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but we got to we got to listen and just keep empowering kids with the tools and the time and the space and 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 connect them too to other people. That's another thing. It's like yeah. you know, I love it when an adult comes into our space and I introduce them to youth yeah. and they can have these conversations because all every conversation I think that a young person has with someone that's older from a different context the same context like feeds them in a certain way that just grows grows their just the way they think of themselves yeah I don't I don't know if it's what you intended but what I'm hearing and you can correct me if, if it's not what you intended is that the most important part about maker education or or the momentum that we're building right now in this sort of like progressive idea about how we do do education is that we're listening to young people, listening to learners, and then giving them the space and materials to answer their own questions. Real real problem based learning. Yeah. Help them define the problem. Yeah. And then give them the resources I lo- I love to solve that. it. I love that because it it doesn't. Uh, I think a lot of people are tempted, and and I understand why uh, to boil it down to the materials and the you know the tools in the room or the or the materials or the T-shirt that the kids are wearing or whatever else. When at the end of the day, it's it's about um, you know it's a, it's about an an approach or um, a value as an educator that. Um, that is pretty replicable what you the way you just described it Lou what do you think of of that I think that inherent in what you're saying is the idea of freedom Mm. and freedom of choice permutations where you have a theme that is chosen by the students and it's anchored in a content area, but within whatever curriculum is being covered, whether it's what you've come up with as uh, someone who's running the makerspace or collaborating with a classroom teacher, you choose a theme and then you give them, uh, they choose a theme, excuse me, they choose a theme and then they choose a set of tools to create solutions or raise awareness. And there's so many permutations of themes and tools that that is what leads to passion-based learning because they're passionate about the theme they've chosen and they're passionate about the tools they've chosen. And when you work from that place, it's an adventure for everyone involved. So Armando, here's, here's, I know you're headed to high school in the coming year, right? Yes. Uh, after you graduate in the spring and 
let's think of school quote unquote as being from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed like it's your day during the week if you could you don't know yet what high school is going to be like right but if you could take the best of your experiences in middle school and create your own day right like what does school look like for you How should it go? What should be the lengths of time that you're in a place? What kind of things do you work on? What do teachers do? Make your school day for us, Armand. Yeah. Do you have have ideas for me? I know you have ideas. The question is, how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) Um, First, I should think that we should at least have some academics in it. And we should also have classes that the students chose they want to have. Like like what? Give me a class that you've always thought belonged in school, but it hasn't been there. Technology. Oh, yeah? Okay. So so more maybe more tech class. Okay. So academics, some academics. And when you say some academics, you mean like? Like as much as needed for that student. Okay. That's interesting. And, but... Or do you mean subjects? In subjects, like if the student needs more help in math, you'll have more math. I see. And then another component is more room for students to like create their own classes or suggest their own classes. What else? Linda, I want you to jump in because I know, I know you have ideas. Um, like a social issue class where you pick your own social issue like Dr. Lahana's class but yeah like that or like an empowerment class mm-hmm. what em- is that like empower people tell me what that looks like it sounds amazing like some people like some girls like they feel like they're not correct the way they are oh, interesting. like they have to dress this way or they have to look this way and they have to um, be this like have a, the attitude of this person, but like to empower yourself to be the way you are, so not th- how people want you to be. I love that class. So it's a class dedicated to helping you be you in the most authentic way that you can. Yeah, I'm adding that. When does that class start? Because I want to yeah, enroll. I'm in. working on that. That's a class everybody it's it's kind of life in a way but I love it I love that idea. How about do you guys feel like you run around enough and just get outside or inside just play? No. No. So so how do we incorporate that into our our high school school day now that we can create our own high school? Um I think that we should be able to go to another class like a free classroom. Uh-huh. If it's empty, as long as there's a teacher inside to watch us, yep. we could do whatever we want. We could be on our phone, finish homework, class, think of something. Got it. More more choice time. Yeah. And maybe um, go to the gym or lunchroom. Mm-hmm. Have you guys thought at all about um, what it would mean for your social activism that you guys are engaged with to be able to do more connecting with other you know like someplace in Guyana right now or in Paris right now there's like another Linda who's super fired up about 
issues in uh, healthcare, issues in, uh, you've mentioned so many already. Uh, like, do you guys think at all about that? Uh, what it would mean to connect with other young people who are not necessarily like from, from the place you're coming from or in, in the school that you're in? Yeah, like um, I would want to pe- meet someone from like a different country that mm. has the same ideas as me and we all make like a group and then we solve the problem. Yeah. Like um, Dr. Nahana, he showed us a video about the gender, the, the whole gender thing and it was like a bunch of girls and boys and men and women from different places and they all said what do they think it means to be a woman or a man and what do you have to do? Mm. Like, and all of them, like the, the girls, they were like, oh, I want to put on makeup or I don't want to put on makeup or something like they were exposed as much as men and women where they were exposed to all that stuff like I have to do this and I have to do this if I want to be like popular or Mm -hmm. good or be who be a girl or be a man that the definition be the definition of it that people think it is yeah. but it really might not be like you could google the definition of a man a man it'll be like oh a man is someone with a deep voice and they have this and they have that or a definition of a woman and it'll be like they have a squeaky voice blah blah, blah mm-hmm. and they're supposed to be this way but some women and men want to be different ways yeah well th- everybody's going to take your empowerment class <laughs> right and it's going to change things um so there the the place we've we've uh i most of all i want to keep uh armando and linda's attention and and i know this is a long time even for us adults to sit in one place um so i don't want to carry on for too long but lou i do want to talk about your day um so there's there's uh, the reason i want to talk about it is because i think um Naturally, as a field, we hear about new strategies, new approaches, and there's always a gloss on them that's like, oh, man, that's the way. That's that's the, like, panacea. It's everything. Uh, it's going to solve everything. But um, there's no such thing, right, as, like, the perfect, as maker education without hiccups. So tell us about your day, Lou. And... and um, and we're gonna find a way uh, to to uh, make sure that it's valuable to people. The experiences you had today. Well, talk about gender. One thing that men are not supposed to do is cry. And I will admit that today, I've been teaching 19 years, was the first day a class made me cry, and it was. Uh, It was a hard class because I care so much about what kids get from my class. And it's so important for me to have kids become social activists. I think it's really the key to um, feeling like you are an important person who have things to say. And um, it's it's about self-confidence and identity. um, And it strengthens kids. And so... When I have students who are 
playing violent hip hop music with horrible messages and singing them at the top of their lungs and try to take their computers away. I mean, the thing about it is I don't want to portray my school in a certain light that I don't think is representative of what it's like. I think the Lindas and the Armandos outweigh um, the type of kids and experiences that I've had today. And some of the kids who didn't do well today do well sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Having said that, we talked about permutations and freedom. And I think for some classes, it's too much that they need more directed activities. And when you give them that type of freedom and they can't handle it, it becomes really out of control really quickly under the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances. And that's what happened today. So um, when I have so many kids off task at once, the uh, level of disappointment um, and anxiety of not fulfilling my role uh, became today overwhelming. And I needed a lot of support. The dean came and removed one student who was messing with the materials and breaking things. Um, And I had the assistant principal come in and she lectured the kids about how this program is very unique and it's an opportunity and you're wasting that opportunity. And uh, then she told the kids that for the next few weeks, uh, they're going to be in a classroom and I'm going to come in and they're going to be doing traditional work and I'm just going to be enforcing that traditional work. So they've really lost that freedom for now. And hopefully that'll have an impact. And in a way, uh, in a way, I'm sure it's like the opposite of what you want for these two. 100% the opposite. It's taking away their empowerment. Yeah. It's uh, oppressing them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's nothing to say other than um, sometimes that is what happens with um, when you're a teacher, that yeah. you have days and classes like that. So, I mean, you had some equipment kind of threatened uh, today. They were like throwing, you know, whatever, uh, threatening to break some equipment, the uh, and, and just like not in the mindset or uh, embodying the kind of attitude you feel right. like um, you're working so hard to bring to them. And, and uh, I hear you totally about characterizing the school in the wrong way. I think most listeners of this podcast know that schools are places that are working to support humans. And, and humans are uh, certainly uh, fallible. So... Um, I'm I'm hoping for them uh, and and believing in them that there's going to be a better day uh, tomorrow. And but but for you as a maker educator, I think for a young educator who hasn't been in a school as long as you have, they might go home after an experience like that, right? And say it's not worth it, right? Absolutely. So when you go home tonight, and and what's your self talk? I think that's a great question. I'm a little bit critical of myself, and I can imagine for each and every student that was off task today, I can think of a way that had I had sufficient time and space, I could have directed them and motivated them to get back to a project that nearly all of them had begun. And 
so I, I say that. I say that um, you're going to do better to target more kids and get more kids involved in this class. And then I think about the other classes that I have and all the amazing projects that are going on. And I focus on that and I focus on that adventurous feeling where I come in and I do not know what is going to happen. And I know that I'm going to learn something new. And it's often from the kids. I think we can talk uh, till we're blue in the face about how we can empower the kids. But when you really do have the social issues that are completely exploded, that, that can be anything that you're brave enough to let the kids explore anything and everything, and then you have a wide variety of uh, materials and, and equipment for them to explore them with, it really is a genuine adventure. Mm. And so it's exciting enough to withstand uh, classes like that and days like that. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness uh, there are educators with the experience and uh, ability to, to uh, transfer the experience into, into what you are. Um, what do you guys, Armando and Linda, what do you guys think Dr. Lahana should do about a class like that? Um, honestly, I think he should keep the students that work on task always. Mm-hmm. They don't get distracted. And the rest, um, they could just be kept upstairs with work mm. and just watched by a teacher. While he works with students and with less students, to have more time with them and have more ideas and yeah. suggestions. That's one thing that we came up with when the assistant principal came down is that I'm open for lunch very often and Armando takes advantage of that to work on his shelter uh, and to have those students from this class who are always on task because there are a number of them Mm -hmm. give them special permission usually during the beginning of lunchtime all the students sit down and read uh, and giving them special permission to come in and and work yeah Lita do you have any any um, words of advice for Dr. Lahana who's going to go home tonight who works uh, and invests so much emotionally in creating these amazing spaces for you guys uh, he had a bad day. Like, what do you say to a, a mentor like Dr. Lahana when stuff like that goes down by some of your peers who are not necessarily representative of, of everybody? Uh, I agree with Armando that they should take the good kids out and the bad kids stay, like, for a certain amount of time so they get it through their head that you have to behave and listen. Mm. And they just take they were taking advantage of him at the time instead of he gives a lot of freedom and a lot of space to everybody. Like not like always oh, go outside and hang out. Like you have this thing these things you can do that other teachers won't let you do and you're just taking advantage of it. Like he has so many tools, like you can make jewelry, you can make um Sculpey and you Sculpey is oven big clay and you can use it to make charms and stuff. So I think that I agree. I agree with Armando that mm. he should take the good kids and, like he said, um, during lunchtime bring them instead of them reading, bring them to the tech cafe so they don't have to lose their 
charms time. And when she says charms and jewelry, just FYI, they put social issue yeah. messages on them. These are not just uh, random trinkets. Mm. Uh, and then we sell them on our Etsy shop. And the Etsy shop uh, generates money that we put back into charities uh, like Watsi. Um, that funds surgery for those I, in need. Like when I made those, um, I made earrings. Those and are I, emoji earrings. Yeah. yeah, and I sold them, and I was gonna, I was gonna do it for um, a girl in Africa, a girl like to make a school for girls and boys for them to have. Mm. Yeah, and Oxfam is the other uh, charity that we uh, donate to, and they, I love these charities that have tangible. Uh, things that you can donate to. So with Oxfam, it's like buy a goose mm. for a village, <laughs> right. and you know awesome. where it's where it's. They know that they're contributing to something tangible and specific. Right. Hmm. Uh, you guys should get together on a your uh, messaged socially minded jewelry shop with Quavon from oh, yeah. uh, your place, right. who is an older uh, Quavon's got to be. In his 20s? Yeah, he might even be a little older than that. Uh, So he's a community member who's been coming to the space, and he's a boxer. Yeah. And uh, you you tell the story, but he's he's working on a, a sort of fashion line that's about positive messages for young people, right? Right. He we had a got a grant to train community members, and Kayvon came in and uh, he designed a bunch of shirts that talks about what he does, and that he loves boxing, and that how people should think about themselves. So. He's produced a few of those, and we'll see where that goes. It can be challenging to get community members to keep showing up, yeah. um, but that's that's what he talked about doing. So we'll but, but see watching, where that ends up. Seeing this young, uh, young boxer, you know, aspiring boxer, he's like looking to go pro, hold up his T-shirt and talk about proudly this process of making was was just, uh, you know, it just it it. Um, it never gets less fun to see examples like that and how psyched people are to be making. Last question for you, Steve, is can you think of ways that your space could be a support, a reinforcement in the ecosystem with considering the experience that Lou had today? Like, How do we use the third space of a fab lab to help young people... Um, know what the culture is of a space like that or a, of a practice like that and, and know how to behave when, when we're uh, doing the kinds of things that happen in Lou's class? Well, we have a number of kids who come into our space who are some of the most challenged kids in school. And they end up in the basement all the time. That's the place in our in the local middle school where you know, they, they put the kids who are in trouble. So they often come into our space and they're well-behaved. They're some of the most helpful students. Um, and there's, you know, there's no one solution. And, and, you know, as a former classroom teacher, I think we've all been in that, that space. And one of the really difficult parts of being like a classroom teacher is that it could be one or two kids in a group of 20 or 30 or whatever it is that can really sometimes suck the soul out of you. Yeah. But... Um, I think one of the things that we could do in general is just communicate more with teachers. And also the teachers, I think, need to understand like how some of their students behave outside of school and realize that they have a kind of a, 
an arsenal of capabilities that always don't show up in the traditional classroom. Even though this is not a traditional classroom, it's still that space where sometimes kids can feel confined and you know people have a lot of things going on at home. But the more these spaces exist, um, hopefully more kids will learn how to behave in them and, and, um, and just use them well. And I was asking Lou, he was a former librarian, and we're working on a library project, and he's got me thinking that if this project goes forward, that one of the first things I'm going to do is go to the schools, find out what the middle school kids are working on, what the teachers are working on, and create opportunities for the kids to come to the libraries and see familiar things and, and have similar or different ways mm. to interact with the ideas and the materials and find ways to create their own meaning around those topics. And yeah. hopefully that would be transferable to have one of those kind of, let's say, challenging students come back and say, look what I made about the Civil War or about you know, whatever it is that they're working on. Um, and then, you know, maybe a teacher will look at that student in a new light also. Maybe third spaces after school, um, maybe there, there are supports there that can uh, help open up options beyond, well, we're just going to take the privilege away. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's tough. Right, and, and instead uh, figuring out a way, in, in a sense, to like make a project out of it, out of the experience. Um, and not that you want the punishment to be, uh, to then go make things. But um, guys, I cannot tell you how much uh, I appreciate this conversation. I have learned a ton from from uh, everybody here. And what I'm most excited about, I think, um, always from these conversations, but especially this one, is uh, that I do, f- I do feel like there's something to... Um, the the creating a system in communities where uh, schools are extremely involved, where talented educators are everywhere, where we're opening up how we define who's an educator and how they support young people on a trajectory that is as uh, activist and sort of socially minded as Linda and Armando. Um, cause, cause I've said this before, but when I, when I talk to students like you guys, I feel, and I talk to my son, who's, uh, not far from your age, uh, I have a lot of hope. And, and I think that's my, when I have those experiences that just feel like, you know what, it's really hard to move the needle. Um, that's where I come back to at, at night. It's like, gosh, there, there's a lot of hope because of how much you guys care about, uh, the world and are, uh, being supported by, uh, really talented people, and I think we're going to make a tremendous difference in what the world looks like. So, um, thank you guys for the work you're doing now, and for being on this show. And I hope it was a fun experience. What do you think? Would you Would you do it again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. It wasn't too boring to sit sit and uh, talk into mics for an hour. No. <laughs> it was really good to listen to you guys, Armanda and Linda. I really appreciate all your ideas and just your interest in life is really wonderful. Thank you, guys. Lou, a better rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. For more info about how you can sponsor No Such Thing, hit me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. No Such Thing is produced in partnership with City University of New York's Master's Program in Youth Studies at SPS. Learn more at sps.cuny.edu. And Mouse, 
a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us on the web at mouse.org. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, and young man who I beat in a slam dunk contest in 2004. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. The podcast is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthing.wordpress.com.